G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Well, in the middle of our day-to-day lives, this Jesus they talk about isn't always perhaps what we expect him to be. That's nothing new. Back in the first century AD, he was just about the most radical person who'd ever walked the planet. Seriously. Bernie Diamond, and thanks so much for joining me again on Christianity Works as we continue with our next message in this series called A Day at the Office with Jesus. And because following Jesus isn't always easy, it's often not what we'd expect, I'd love to send you a free copy of our life application booklet, Shouldn't It Be Easier Than This? So stay tuned, I'll be telling you how you can request your copy in just a few minutes. This week we're continuing in our series, A Day at the Office with Jesus. Now, this is something we kicked off a couple of weeks back, just following Jesus around day by day through Luke's Gospel, seeing the sorts of things he faced and how he handled them. And what we discovered is that Jesus faced some real challenges. The more you read, the more you see the opposition he came up against. From the devil and his demons, from his own hometown, Nazareth, where the people rejected him, and in fact they tried to kill him, from the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees. And the thing that really strikes me is the faith that Jesus showed in each situation, each confrontation, each trial, each temptation. So this week we're going to meet some people who encountered this radical saviour, this radical Jesus. And my prayer is that as we do that, you and I too will meet a radical saviour, Jesus. Now I guess we never much think about Jesus having to have faith, but he did. He needed it. Sure, he was and still is the Son of God, the creator of everything that was ever created. But he laid that glory, that power. He he laid his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, all that he laid aside to become a man, a human being with the same physical constraints and limitations and feelings and needs as you and me. And all that he did, he did in faith, knowing who God made him to be and what God made him to do, And it was that faith that released God's power in him. Now, today, we're going to pick up the story at a time when crowds had been following Jesus around. I mean, huge crowds. But it was time for him to gather some closer disciples. A disciple was a learner, a student. And normally the way it worked is that common folk like you and me, we'd see all these different scribes and teachers of the law, and we'd weigh them up. And think, wow, you know, I wouldn't mind following that one. I'd like to be one of his disciples. Why? Well, the more prestigious your scribe, the better social position you'd have. The more impressive the people, the other disciples that you'd be rubbing shoulders with. Think of the business connections, the opportunities for your kids if you could get into this particular scribe's tribe. So you applied. And not everyone was accepted. And sometimes they'd put you and your family through some tests. That was the deal. But it wasn't Jesus' way. He, as he's prone to do, 
turned that whole system on its head. Shock horror. He went on a bit of a recruitment drive. He actually went out and invited people to follow him. And the people he chose, well, they weren't exactly the sort of people you'd really want in your scribe's tribe. Let's have a listen. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats that belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch.' Now Simon answered, "'Master, we've worked all night long, but we've caught nothing. "'But if you say so, I'll let down the nets.' When they'd done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "'Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man.' For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon." Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. When they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. So you got the picture. This huge crowd's pressing in on Jesus. Wow, if only our churches were like that. People knocking down the doors to hear the word of God. I wonder why. No, no, that's a whole other message. We won't go there. Now, there's no audio system there. There's no sound system. So he thinks to himself, How do I make it? so that they can all hear me. I know, there's a boat. If I get out on the water, they'll be able to hear me, because water's fantastic for bouncing sound. When the water's still, you can hear someone speaking from quite a distance away. So to get those acoustics working in his favour, Jesus commandeers Simon Peter's boat. So far as we know, this is the first time he's met Simon Peter. He preaches to the crowds, and then the whole miracle with a fish... A carpenter, not a fisherman, a carpenter by whose word this amazing miracle of this huge catch happens. The thing that strikes me here, well, there are two things. The first is this. Both what Jesus had to say and the way he behaved had a huge impact on the crowd. His word and his deeds cut into their hearts. They knew he was for real. That's why the crowds were following him. This this guy was amazing. He spoke with such power and authority and, and he healed people. And then this whole thing with the fish, so many fish, that two boats almost start to sink. These expert fishermen have been out there all night. They're exhausted. They caught nothing. Then Jesus the carpenter comes along. So, so there's this first thing is the huge impact that Jesus had on people. And the second thing is how the people responded. The crowds flocked after him. They couldn't get enough. And look at the response of the fishermen. When they brought their boats into shore, they left everything, everything to follow Jesus. They left this amazingly huge catch that must have been worth a bundle. They left their boats that were worth even more. They left their businesses as fishermen. No doubt the businesses had been handed down to them through the generations. Because they knew, they just knew that they'd found what they were looking for. They knew that this Jesus was the real deal. Look at Peter. He falls down on his knees and says, Jesus, get away from me. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinful man. He knows that's what happens when we meet Jesus. He doesn't have to say anything. 
We just know our sin by looking at him. And they left everything to follow Jesus. Friend, have you ever had an encounter like that with Jesus? Have you? Have you met this radical, outrageous saviour? Have you seen him for what he is? Have you heard him speak into your life? Have you experienced his healing power, his miraculous touch? Because it is time. It is time to leave the past behind and follow Jesus. It is time to take that step. And if that's something that you want to do today, then let's take that step right now. Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. I just want to take a moment during this short break to share something truly important with you. Following Jesus isn't always what we expect. We're hoping for an easy ride, and yet some days it can be so tough that we lose heart and want to give up. That's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our latest life application booklet called Shouldn't it be easier than this? It's full of life-changing practical Bible teaching to help you get a handle on exactly what Jesus is up to in your life. In fact, each chapter contains a series of life application questions to help you think through and apply God's Word right into the realities of your life. To request your copy, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415, and we'll send your free booklet straight out to you in the post. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com, or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. I want you to imagine that you're Jesus. You walk into town and a leper comes to you. He's sick, pus-filled sores all over his body. His fingers and toes are rotting away. He asks you to heal him. And so you decide that you will. But, But how? How would you heal him? Now the next person who meets this radical Jesus on his journey as recorded by Luke is a leper. Back in Jesus' day, one of the worst of all diseases and sicknesses was leprosy. It started off with a numbness and then white patches on the skin, and eventually it can become so bad that you'd lose fingers and toes and and have open, weeping, pus-filled sores all over your skin. And instead of putting these people into hospitals and caring for them as best they could, given the state that medicine was in in the first century AD, Instead, they ostracized them. Lepers were unclean under the Jewish law of the Old Testament, and so they didn't get to live with their families in houses safe inside the walls of the city, under the protection of the city like everyone else. They lived in leper colonies outside the walls of the city. They were completely cut off from their families and their friends. So one day, you could be a high-ranking official or a scribe or a priest or a farmer or a successful businessman or a fisherman or whatever... And the moment, the moment those white patches appeared, you were out on your backside. Everyone you loved, gone. Your husband and wife, your kids, everything you'd worked for, gone. Your career, your business, the comforts of home, such as they were back then, all gone. And when you'd come into town, you couldn't go anywhere near the rest of us. You'd have to shout out, unclean, unclean, and not come within 70 paces of another person. Now just... Just stop and think about that, what it meant for a leper in the first century. Not just the sickness, but the complete loss of your life and everything that mattered, and being booted out of town to live alone or, or with other lepers in abject poverty. Have you got the picture here? So one day Jesus wanders into town. 
Remember last week and again this week, we're spending a day or two at the office with Jesus, just kind of wandering around, following him through Luke's gospel. And what we've seen is that this Jesus, he, he now has rock star, mega star status. People have figured out he's an amazing preacher. He preaches like no one else, with power, with authority, with relevance to everyday life. And what he says hits home. And they've seen his miracles. Who could miss the miracles? Man, this, this guy's amazing. We'd better go and see for ourselves. We, we'd better take Auntie Martha down to see if he can heal her bad back. Come on, let's go. So the crowds are following him around. He's quite the celebrity. He's up in Galilee. He's just met some of the disciples by the lake. And now he wanders into one of the cities and he meets a leper. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Once, when he was in one of the cities, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. Then Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him and said, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, go, he said, and show yourself to the priest and, as Moses commanded, make an offering for your cleansing for a testimony to them. But now, more than ever, the word about Jesus spread abroad. Many crowds would gather to hear him and to be cured of their diseases. Now, the first few times I read this story, you can read it in Mark's Gospel 2, chapter 1. The first few times I read this story, I skimmed over it fairly quickly. Oh, yeah, okay, Jesus does another miracle. Ho-hum. It's just what Jesus did, miracles. But then, then I learned about what it meant to be a leper. And, and then I looked at this leper through the eyes of someone who was never in a million years called to be a doctor, me, this pitiful man with stinking, rotting flesh. See, Luke was a doctor. He was a physician in his day. And he chose his language very carefully and precisely. Have a listen again to what he says about this man's leprosy. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. There was a man covered with leprosy. Literally, the original Greek there means this man was full of leprosy. So this wasn't in its early stages. He was covered with smelly, pus-filled sores, weeping sores. Possibly he'd already lost some fingers and toes. He'd been sick and isolated and living outside the city for years. He comes to Jesus humbly. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. See, it's humble faith. Jesus doesn't heal everyone. God heals through his love and his compassion, but also through his sovereign will. And Jesus... Jesus was moved with compassion. That's what Mark tells in his gospel. He reaches out and does the one thing he shouldn't have done. He touches the leper. The one thing this leper hadn't experienced for, well, it must have seemed like a lifetime, the touch of another human being. And immediately, immediately, the leper's healed. And instead of making some big show about it, instead of using this amazing healing in the PR machinery of brand Jesus, taking brand Jesus to market, Jesus commands the man to tell nobody and to show himself to the priest as commanded in the Old Testament law so that the priest could pronounce him to be clean, so that he could be reunited with his family and become part of the society and community again and go to worship God on the Sabbath in the synagogue with everyone else. See, the thing is, when Jesus heals, he heals the whole man, body, soul and spirit. This is a complete healing. And, of course, this wasn't something you'd keep under wraps. Word got out, and more and more people flocked to Jesus. Friend, Jesus is in the healing business. I don't care what deep hurt you've been carrying around, what, whatever. Does he always heal every disease? No. 
but he is filled with compassion and he reaches out and he touches us, no matter how revolting we may appear to everyone else, and he does things in us and for us that no one else can do. You see, I am that leper. You are that leper. Our sin stings up into heaven just just like those vile, pus-filled sores all over the leper. And when we come to Jesus and we say to him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He is moved with compassion. He reaches out. He touches us. And after that, nothing, nothing is ever the same again. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break, I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you draw closer to God. It's called Fresh, a short daily devotional, a scripture verse with some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. Or if you prefer, you can now receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. It's completely free. To get instant access either to the digital or the printed version of Fresh, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com. You'll see the Fresh e-devotional sign up right there at the top of the homepage. Or if you prefer, give us a call toll-free on 1300 722 415 to request the printed Fresh devotional. Completely up to you. That's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1300-722-415. So go ahead, sign up to receive fresh, and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through his word. Now, it's often been said that Jesus didn't claim to be God, that he was just a good teacher. So when he healed the paralyzed man that some friends lowered down through the roof, and when he forgave the man's sins... What was he claiming to be? And does it really matter? Now, we're going to pick things up again with the next part in Jesus' journey with him teaching in a house. He spoke and taught wherever people were, and as usual, the place was packed to the rafters, not just with people who were enthralled to hear what Jesus had to say, but with the religious leaders who, frankly, were trying to entrap him. Why? Well, all these crowds that were following Jesus were their crowds, their congregation members, the people who traditionally filled their coffers with cash. So Jesus was drawing their people away from them. In so doing, he was seriously threatening their power base. And not only that, he stood completely against a lot of the things that these religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees, taught. See, as we saw last week on the program, they'd come up with a bunch of rules and regulations that they'd heaped on top of the Old Testament law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the first five books of what we now call the Old Testament. That was the law, God's law. But by the first century, the scribes and the Pharisees have completely perverted that and added all these ridiculous rules to it to oppress the people. And who Jesus was and what he did not only threatened their power base, he offended them to the core. So these guys were sitting right up there in the front row, ready to find fault, to pick an argument, and ultimately to entrap him. These were the guys who, at the end of the day plotted his crucifixion. So let's pick up the story, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Now, one day while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. 
Just then, some men came carrying a paralysed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. You have to love this. Now, this is outrageous. They come to Jesus carrying their friend. They can't get in, so they climb up on the roof, rip the roof off, and just think about the physical practicalities of this. They tie some ropes around the stretcher, lower this paralysed man down, trying not to drop him along the way, and they plop him right at Jesus' feet, right in the middle of the scene of Jesus preaching to this packed house and the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, they're ready to pounce. Jesus loved it. He loved it. And he knew exactly why the scribes and the Pharisees were there. So when he saw their faith, he said to the man, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, Who who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such a question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on this earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralysed, I say to you, stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. Immediately the guy stood up before them, took what he'd been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God. They were filled with awe, saying, We have seen some strange things today. (laughs) That's an understatement, isn't it? So so does Jesus shy away from confronting this situation? He's a man who's paralysed and needs healing. That's how Jesus healed. By faith. Faith that his dad in heaven would do the things that he physically, as a man, was incapable of doing. Does he shy away from the threat of these plotting religious fanatics? No. He deliberately uses this as a time to do two things. Firstly, obviously, to to heal the paralytic man who'd come before him through great faith and perseverance, not only of the man, but of his friends who'd been carrying him on the stretcher. But Jesus does something else. It's very, very important. He actually claims to be the Son of God, God himself. The Pharisees asked the right question, who can forgive but God himself? The answer is no one. So either Jesus is blaspheming, that's their religious view, Or he is who he says he is. He's the son of God. I've heard people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. He he was a great teacher, but he never, ever claimed to be God. That is just plain false. He did, and he was. And in particular, this phrase he used of himself, the son of man, you hear him use it time and time and time again, is in fact a claim to be the Messiah. It harks back to the Old Testament, the book of Daniel chapter 7. Have a listen, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being, literally the Son of Man, coming through the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all people, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Jesus was clearly claiming to be the Messiah. No ifs, no buts, no maybes, and he was making a powerful point. Out of his great compassion, he healed this paralytic man. It was amazing. I mean, what a huge impact. But even more powerful, more amazing, is that he forgave the man's sin. 
And in doing so, he was saying to the Pharisees and the scribes and all who were assembled there, and to you and to me, through his word, through his deed, I am the Son of God. And I have authority to heal your diseases. I have authority to forgive your sin. And if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, then watch this man get up and walk. That miracle was a powerful sign that attested to the truth of what Jesus was saying. Friend, no religion, no denomination, no bunch of religious rules heaped up on top of the Bible can contain this Jesus. Whatever you and I have been told, we need to discover this Jesus, this Jesus of the Bible, the Son of Man, the Son of God, this radical Saviour. Because when we encounter him face to face, through faith, He cuts through all the religion. He heals us. He forgives us. That's where it's at. Jesus and not religion. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your walk, it is time to meet this Jesus, not just once, not just in a passing way, but to walk every day with him. Because this same power, this same forgiveness, this same compassion, this same ability to cut through all this religious nonsense to the heart of the issue is what Jesus wants to bring today, tomorrow, the next day, for the rest of our lives, into your life. Before I go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. This program, Christianity Works, is encouraging so many people in over 160 countries to grow in a rich, dynamic, powerful relationship with Jesus. But that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. Each dollar that you give toward the ministry of Christianity Works today will help reach over 2,500 people with a gospel message. So... A gift of, say, $35 can touch over 85,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous, tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today. You can do that right now, securely online, by visiting our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or by calling 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet I mentioned earlier. It's called, Shouldn't It Be Easier Than This? Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll free on 1-300-722-415. Thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond and I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.